0: You probably have to be my age or older to remember a song that we used to sing at Bible camp when I was a kid. I don't know if it was on that yellow sheet. Do you remember that yellow tri-folded sheet that had choruses on it? And one of them was, "'Tis G-L-O-R-Y to know that I'm S-A-B-E-D. I'm H-A-P-P-Y because I'm F-R-E-E. Once I was B-O-U-N-D, by the chains of S-I-N, now V-I-C-T-O-R-Y, for Jesus reigns within. There were a lot of blank-looking faces when I went through that. How many of you remember that? I knew I Pastor knew Lee and, and uh, Joel Rasmussen and my old brother would remember that. Victory. And I can still picture my dad at the end of that song just, you know, exuberantly. V-I-C-T-O-R-Y, for Jesus reigns within. Well, we look at a victory today in Joshua chapter 6. We're looking at some of the battles in the Bible. And if you want to um, Google and see how many battles there were in the Bible, you'll, you'll find a, a long, long list. We're not going to look at every one of them in this series, but we'll look at some of the ones that are probably familiar to us and provide a great picture of Christ and what He did to give us victory. Joshua chapter 6, I'm just going to read the first five verses of this very familiar story, the conquest of Jericho. Now Jericho was tightly shut because of the sons of Israel. No one went out and no one came in. The Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand with its king and the valiant Warriors, You shall march around the city, all the men of war, circling the city once. You shall do this for six days. And seven priests shall carry seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. Then on the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow the trumpets. It shall be that when they make a a long blast with the ram's horn, And when you hear the sound of the trumpet, all the people shall shout with a great shout. The wall of the city will fall down flat, and the people will go up, every man, straight ahead. Let's bow in prayer. Father, thank you for this day that we can worship you. Thank you that Jesus Christ is the one who gives us the victory. Help us, Lord, as we look at this passage of Scripture to see Jesus illustrated so clearly, and what he did for the people of Israel that day, and what he has done for us on the cross of Calvary, where we pray in his name. Amen. And the verse says, just prior to this passage of Scripture, Joshua is near the city of Jericho. And I, I can't help but think that he is probably wondering how in the world are they ever going to defeat this very fortified city. But while he is there, he meets the Lord face to face and he, 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 he bows at the feet of the Lord in, in worship. Look at verse 15 of chapter 5. The captain of the Lord's host said to Joshua, Remove your sandals from your feet for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. And I can't think of a better way to approach a battle than to worship. Getting his eyes focused on the Lord was exactly what Joshua needed. Because that battle that day would not be won in his own power or the power of the army, but in the mighty power of God. Remove your sandals for the place you are standing is holy. That's a familiar word, isn't it? Because that's the word that was given to Moses many years ago as God called him to lead the children of Israel out of Egypt and into the promised land. Joshua knew that. Joshua was aware of that event in the life of Moses. And so when God told him to take off his sandals, the place where you are standing is holy ground, It was a clear reminder to Joshua that this is the same God as he was when Moses lived. And just as God promised that he would lead them out of Egypt, which he had already done, he would then fulfill the second part of that promise, that he would lead them into the promised land. God would give them victory. And it would be very clear that the victory belonged to God and to God alone. There are three lessons I want to highlight from this passage this morning. First of all, I want you to notice that victory is assured by the promise of God. Victory is assured by the promise of God. As the people of Israel were about to enter the promised land, they were facing a very daunting task. Moses had made it very clear to them that you are going to come against seven nations that are stronger than you are. And beginning here with the city of Jericho, this was a very powerful enemy. They are an under-equipped, inexperienced band of men who are facing the city of Jericho, and in their own strength, they would never be able to defeat this city. But there is no reason for them to doubt. Because God had made it very clear to them what the result will be. In fact, He speaks of the result as if it had already happened. Notice verse 2 says, God doesn't say in verse 2 that I will give Jericho into your hand, which would have been correct to say. He speaks of it as having already happened. He says, I have given Jericho into your hand. Our Kent Hughes says, it is not yet yours in experience, but the fact that it will be is so certain in the providence of your sovereign God That the future can be expressed by a tense of completed action. I have given. That is a promise of God. It's obvious that God wanted them to know this in advance, but He also wants them to contemplate this. Look at verse 2. You see that little word, see. The Lord said to Joshua, see... I have given Jericho into your hand. That little word, "see" challenges then the people to look, to focus, to get their minds set on this. God wanted them to meditate on the fact that when He makes a promise, there isn't a shred of doubt about the outcome. It doesn't matter how big the enemy is, if God has given His word, it is certain to happen. And isn't that the confidence that we can have today as well in the promise of God's Word? If God has said it, it is going to happen. So we can have confidence. We're not battling a, a, a city like the people of Israel did. We have battles, don't we? How about the battle we face every day with our sinful flesh, our sinful nature? Paul describes it in Romans 7, doesn't he? He says, the things that I want to do, I don't. The things that I don't want to do, I end up doing. He says, oh, wretched man that I am. Have you discovered that this week, huh? Some of the temptations you face, you end up doing the thing that you don't want to do and the thing you want to do, you fail, and you come to that realization that by nature I am a wretched man. And Paul says, Who will deliver me from this body of death? What's his answer? Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. The battle with the flesh. And we have another enemy, don't we? We battle the world, the world system, the the values of our culture today. and We are living, as we saw, the truth project this morning. I'll put in a plug for that. Please come to that if you haven't. Nine o'clock on Sunday or Wednesday evening. There's a cosmic battle going on between truth and error. We live in a culture that is quickly abandoning the truth of God's Word and so we battle the world as well. And yet, what does Paul say in Romans chapter 8? We are more than conquerors through whom? Through Jesus, through Him who loved us. And we have another enemy. We have Satan himself and and his demons that are always seeking to, to tempt us. And yet we have the promise that greater is He who is in us than he that is in the world. So just as God was the one who brought victory to the people of Israel, it is Jesus Christ who gives us the victory today. And one day we will experience the ultimate victory over death itself. As Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 18, that God will bring me safely into His kingdom. To whom be the glory forevermore. So let me ask you, are you standing on the promises of God today? Not on your feelings, not on your thoughts, but standing on the truth of God's word. Victory is assured by the promise of God. The second lesson we learn here is that victory is based on the plan of God. Victory is based on the plan of God. When, when Joshua met the Lord at the end of chapter 5, he asked the Lord what to do in, in facing the battle against Jericho. Verse 13 says, he, It came about when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man was standing opposite him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua said, Now who are you for? Are you for the enemy? Or are you for us? He said, No. Rather, he said, I indeed have come now as captain of the host of the Lord. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and bowed down and said to him, What has my Lord to say to his servant? Lord, what is it you want to tell me? What do you have to say to me? I'm ready to hear. I'm ready to listen. He was surveying this city that they were about to conquer, and he was very open to counsel. Lord, what am I going to do here? Lord, what do you have to say? And so we find the answer in our text. The answer to Joshua's question, but it probably wasn't what he expected for an answer. Verse 3 says, You shall march around the city, all the men of war circling the city once, and you shall do this for six days. And then he said also, Seven priests shall carry seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark, Then on the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times and the priest shall blow the trumpets. Now that sounds like a very interesting battle plan, doesn't it? Verse 5, It shall be that when they make a long blast with the ram's horn and when you hear the sound of the trumpet all the people shall shout with a great shout. And guess what? The wall of the city is going to fall down flat. Now you've got to put yourself in Joshua shoes. Joshua was a military man. He was a general. And to think of that as being the battle plan, you're going to march around the city and you're going to blow some horns and the priests are going to come and then the walls are going to fall down flat. Could there be some slight question in your mind like, okay, and then you tell the priests, then you tell the soldiers, Hey, troops, here's what we're going to do. We're going to march around the city once, each six days, and then the seventh day we're going to blow the trumpets, we're going to shout, and the wall's going to fall down flat. If you put yourself in the shoes of the priest or the soldiers of the army, you might also have a little bit of a question. Okay, that's what we're going to do. But when Joshua told the priests and the people what to do, they did it. And there doesn't appear to be any hesitation in their minds. And I ask the question, how could that be? How could it be that there there was no question in their minds? Well, if the people of Israel remembered their history, they would know that they were victorious when they were obedient to the plan of God, even when the plan may not have made sense to them. And they had already experienced that, hadn't they? Okay, they were on their way, leaving Egypt, on their way to the promised land. The Lord says, I want you to turn around and go back. And they go back, and they're with their back to the Red Sea and the army of Pharaoh coming. And now what are we going to do? And God says to Moses, Well, take that rod and put the rod against the sea, and it's going to part and you're going to pass through. And that's exactly what happened. And so they must have learned something there, although it seemed like down the road. They had to relearn this lesson over and over again. But when you follow the plan of God, when you do it according to His will, then there is the promise of victory. And this is the lesson that God wanted to teach them in this very first battle against the enemies, in this very first conquest in the promised land. God wanted them to know that victory depended upon His promise, His plan, and His power. And if they by faith would do what God called them to do, they would experience His victory. Hebrews 11.30 tells us, "...by faith the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days." David Jackman says the way in which the victory came was chosen by the Lord so that it would be ingrained in their memory that this first victory was the gift of their gracious, sovereign commander. What happened at the beginning was to be the pattern for all their future advance into this land of promise and rest. Obedient action in response to divinely given promises. Is the channel by which the sovereign grace of their covenant Lord is experienced in the lives of his people. If you look at what God told the people to do in conquering Jericho, you can see how God's presence is emphasized in this battle plan. In verses 6 through 11, you have reference to the Ark of the Covenant which held the Ten Commandments and Aaron's rod and the manna, that was the symbol of God's divine presence. And in verses 6-11, through the Ark of the Covenant is mentioned in every verse except verse 10. And one author says, "...the emphasis is not on the fighting men, but on the Ark of the Covenant, the symbol of the divine presence." God is with his people in their very midst to accomplish his victory for them. He is not remote or at arm's length, but is leading his people by his presence, just as he had done through all their wilderness years. This author goes on to say, That is why there is such an emphasis on the number seven in the text occurring four times in just one verse, verse 4, seven is the number of divine perfection or completeness reflecting the seventh day of rest at the end of the six days of creation. So here the six days circling the city are to find their completion or culmination in the seventh day with its seven circuits around Jericho. So when this city was conquered, It was absolutely clear to the people of Israel that this victory was due to God and God alone. God got the praise for that because this battle plan made it clear that God was the one who had done it. And That brings us to the third lesson here. That victory is accomplished for the praise of God. The glory of God. The victory that God won that day was obviously a reason for Israel to praise God. The promise that He had made to Abraham way back in Genesis chapter 12 was was now being fulfilled. That He was going to give them this land. But you know, it was also a day when a family who lived in the city of Jericho also had reason to praise God. And it was a family that you might least expect. It was the family of a prostitute by the name of Rahab. Verse 17, "...the city shall be under the ban. It and all that is in it belongs to the Lord. Only Rahab the harlot and all who are with her in the house shall live." because she hid the messengers whom he sent. Now, why in the world would God save a prostitute, someone might ask? Why would he save her family? Uh, She certainly wasn't a person of upright standing in the community. Not the type of person you'd want your family to spend time with. But Hebrews tells us that it was by faith in the promise of God that she was saved. Hebrews 11.31 says, By faith Rahab the harlot did not perish along with those who were disobedient after she had welcomed the spies in peace. You see, Rahab had heard about the God of Israel. When the spies came to spy out the land, remember what she said? Go back to chapter 2. Verse eight says, Before they lay down she came up to them on the roof. And she said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land, and that the Lord has and that the terror of you has fallen on us, and that all the inhabitants of the land have melted away before you. We've heard what the Lord did to dry up the water of the Red Sea before you came out of Egypt. And we heard what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan to Sihon and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. And when we heard of it, our hearts melted. No courage remained in any man any longer because of you. For the Lord your God, He is the God in heaven above and on the earth beneath. And then she pleaded for mercy. Verse 12, Now therefore please swear to me by the Lord, Since I have dealt kindly with you, that you also will deal kindly with my father's house and give me a pledge of truth and spare my father and my mother and my brothers and my sisters with all who belong to them and deliver our lives from death. Now she was a prostitute. She had sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But she didn't come to God on the basis of justice. She came to God on the basis of mercy. And in that sense, she is, she is no different than we are. Right? We don't come to God on the basis of justice. We don't come to God asking that He be fair with us, that He treats us with justice. Because if God treated us with justice, there wouldn't be one of us here today who would be saved. We would all be lost. We would all be judged. We'd be all sent to hell. But when we come to God on the basis of His mercy, pleading for mercy as Rahab did for her and her family, then there's victory. Then there's salvation. Then there's hope. I hope you understand that today. That all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And that the wages of sin is death, eternal death. But then the good news, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ, our Lord. So you might ask the question, what what about the people of Jericho that day? What about them who died in that battle? The people of Jericho, as well as all those who lived in the land of Canaan, were given the mercy of God for a long time. If you go back to Genesis chapter 15, where Abraham is given this very strange ceremony to do to cut the animals in half, And then, that was a a covenant that was established in those days where two parties would pass in between those animals that were cut in half as a symbol of each person's responsibility to maintain a covenant. And you remember how there was a flaming torch that passed between the pieces of those animals that had been set apart. And that flaming torch obviously symbolized the presence of God. Abraham did not pass through there, but God did. God did which illustrated that God was the one who was, who was responsible for fulfilling that covenant. It didn't depend on Abraham. It depended upon God. Then he said something very interesting. God told Abraham what was going to happen with his people. He would be, they would be in bondage in Egypt for 400 years. And after that time, he would bring them out And then he would bring judgment upon the people in Canaan. And then there was this phrase that he said, For the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full or complete. How long did God wait? Over 400 years. Before he brought judgment. What does that say? God is merciful. He is not willing that any should perish. He gave those in the land of Canaan a long time to turn away from their sin. Rahab and her family, dead, they pleaded for mercy. The people in Jericho had opportunity as well. They didn't turn away from their sins. So we can't say that God was unjust, that God was unkind. He gave them ample opportunity to repent. Do you realize the fact that you are here today, the fact that you are alive today, is the mercy of God? Especially those of you who may not know Jesus. The fact that you are alive today is the mercy of God giving you opportunity to repent. Opportunity to turn away from your sin and put your trust in Jesus before the judgment of God comes. And it will be worse than the destruction of Jericho. It will be worse than the flood that was during the time of Noah. It will be a fiery judgment. But God has given you opportunity to repent. Opportunity to put your trust in Jesus, to experience the victory that He has won for you. The victory that He has accomplished for you on the cross by paying the price for your sin. By suffering in your place. By taking upon Himself your sin and my sin that we might become the righteousness of God in Jesus. I'm going to say it again. Tis G L O R Y to know. For those of you that can't spell, that's glory. To know that I'm S A B E D, I'm saved. I'm H A P P Y, because I am F R E E, I'm free. I once was B O U N D, bound by the chains of sin. Thank God there is victory. B-I-C-T-O-R-Y Because Jesus reigns within. Victory. That can be yours today. Because of Jesus. He won it for you. And we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. Let's pray. Oh, the glory to know that we are saved. No longer bound by sin, but free. Oh God, thank You for the victory that Jesus Christ has won for us. He said, it is finished. The plan of salvation is complete. He suffered in our place. He took upon Himself the full wrath of God against sin. And He rose victoriously to announce that the the, the payment has been accepted by the Father and we can be set free oh God I pray for those who may not know you as Savior who may be listening to this message today oh God I pray that by your Holy Spirit that you would draw them oh God through your word to see first of all their need for a Savior and then to embrace the good news of salvation that Jesus paid it all. All to Him we owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, but He washed it as white as snow. Lord, thank You for that. Thank You that You softly and tenderly call us to You today. For it is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.